Hi, everybody, and welcome to the September edition of the Third Fridays podcast. Uh, the room is actually jam-packed because we are so excited to present the final prompt of the 2019 mock trial competition here at Lois. And I guess I should start off by saying that we do have our uh, fearless leader, Greg Lois, in the room. Uh, he wanted me to say some kind words about him. Uh, just like he always does. Uh, Greg, you're great uh, overseeing the program and allowing us to uh, move forward as humans, attorneys, and paralegals, not necessarily all at the same time, but uh, it's been a pleasure to be a part of this firm, as I'm sure my three guests here today will agree. Uh, so let's talk about mock trial today. I have uh, Joseph Melchioni, uh, last year's winner of the mock trial competition. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And so today we have our finalists, number one, uh, Christopher Major and Monica Shea. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Okay, so how it works here, um, part of uh, the training program that we have set for uh, our attorneys and paralegals is to present them with a random prompt. Uh, this year was actually a real life case that we tried to mimic throughout uh, the past few months. and. Uh, this year, we focused on uh, actually a, a real case that uh, we were successful in defending for our client. Judge Gregory Lois issued a reserve decision disallowing the claim. So for the first part of the podcast, we have Ms. Monica Shea doing an oral appeal on behalf of the claimant. Not in real life because we don't do that work. That's bad. Uh, we represent employers here, but for the purposes of this educational exercise, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Christian. Um, so I'm going to just start off by giving some background. Um, the claimant, John Smith, worked at a concrete company as a concrete tester um, called We Do Concrete. Um, the facts at hand here are essentially he got into his truck at the end of the day and, you know, what happened was the truck ran, rammed forward, slammed into a dirt embankment. He ended up getting injured, was taken to the hospital, and essentially they diagnosed him with um, injuries to the head, the left wrist, the neck, the back, um, the right leg, and as well as um, a concussion. So we, uh, we uh, originally You did had say a, that it was at the end of the day though, right? So. He wasn't actually working, right? So wh why, should, why should we even hear this appeal? So the reason we should hear this appeal is because the claimant alleges, or the claimant testified actually at the prior hearing where we heard the testimonies of both the claimant and the two carrier witnesses, his supervisor, Mr. Tony Panoli, and his coworker, Mr. Joey Donuts. Um, the claimant, he testified that certainly it was near the end of the day. However, when he had been clocking out, he was actually clocking out um, Sorry. So the reason that we should be uh, hearing this is because even though it was near the end of the day, he actually hadn't left for the, uh, left the job site at the end of the day. So um, this would actually be uh, within the scope of the accident, I believe. So he, despite so the fact that he had that. gotten let's into talk the about that. Let's talk about right. Sure. So he, it's it's he's on the job site, mm -hmm. and that's within the scope of the accident. Right. Well, was he doing anything? at the time that was in furtherance of his duties as a concrete tester? Certainly it would be in sort of a gray area, and this is with respect to the carrier defense. It would have been definitely under a coming and going defense. 
which is where they alleged that the claimant, you know, was commuting and it wasn't technically part of his job duties. But as for us, um, defending that this claim should be established, we, w- we would argue that this is actually a gray area. The claimant certainly was getting ready to leave the job site, but as was testified by the carrier witnesses and the claimant, well, the carrier witnesses certainly, the site of the accident, he hadn't actually left the job site. So it was in that sort of gray zone where he hadn't left the job site yet and you could argue it was actually within the scope of the employment because he's required to go there every single day. He hadn't left, left, he hadn't left the job site the dirt embankment was on the job site, so you could say it was simply a hazard of his employment. And if not for his employment, he wouldn't have been um, suspect to that hazard and the accident wouldn't have happened. Therefore, in our case, we'd be arguing that it does fit inside this gray area. It was within the scope of employment because it was a hazard that was solely um, within the scope of his job duties. What about what about the medical portion of this this claim? I mean, you, you mentioned all, all the the body parts that were involved. Uh, I mean, do, does that does that does that play a role? Like, it seemed like it didn't matter because it was a legal defense that won the day. So you mentioned all these body parts, but w- why should we care about that? Certainly, with regards to the body parts, that actually. Um, I believe it has to do with another part of establishing the claim, specifically causal relationship. So with respect to the body parts, he was later actually, first he was seen at the hospital where they diagnosed him with the body parts I mentioned before. And then shortly after, about I believe a month after, he saw a separate, uh, a separate doctor unaffiliated with the hospital. So he took the deposition of this doctor and this doctor um, testified within medical certainty that he was sure that the, uh, the injuries were causally related to the accident that happened at hand. And because of that, because the doctor has testified and the claimant, the carrier actually hasn't yet produced an IME to rebut this, um, it falls within the scope of causal relationship, which is part of, I believe, section 21 of the workers' compensation law, which states that ANCR, accident, notice, and causal relationship need to be established um, to show that the accident at hand or the injuries at hand are compensable. Okay, and, and you know we're here as a as a mock board panel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not going to happen in real life because it's an administrative uh, review. But uh, you know, and, and maybe Chris, you can can help Monica out here if if this question is a little bit out of bounds. But you know, what's what's our standard of review here? What is exactly our role? Uh, you know, we're not the ones at the trial making findings of fact, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we rely on you know arguments that are seemingly taken into account at the right. law judge level? So um, <clears throat> case law is very very clear, and it's been said time and time again that you know the law judge, as the finder and trier of fact, is entitled to great deference with regard to his findings. Uh, so I believe the standard is that um, the decision will be upheld unless there's no support in the record. No support in the record exists. Uh, or the decision was not supported by substantial evidence. And so I let me stop you there then. <coughs> Monica, isn't there substantial evidence and support in the record that the claimant, in this case, clocked out, went into, the co- into his truck c- to do a personal errand, mm-hmm. and then the accident happened? Like th- There's nothing that the claimant can say to rebut those facts, right? Again, um, I believe this falls within the scope of accident itself, that gray area that we talked about before, where 
Um, even if the claimant has clocked out, if it's within the scope of his normal employment duties, it's something that, again, is a special hazard that is restricted, um, something that he would have um, occur encountered only as a extension, essentially, or as the result of him um, either performing his duties or, um, you know, uh, within the scope of his employment in general. So in this case, again, even though he had indeed clocked out, he had given notice to his employer to clock out, he hadn't left the job site. He was actually seen, you know, he was getting ready to leave, certainly. But the dirt embankment, which I'm if I remember correctly, almost all of the witnesses to the accident itself testified was an essential part of the accident, of the, car, the motor vehicle accident that happened on the employment site itself, um, he would not have likely encountered that as a possible hazard that could have caused the accident, if not for the fact that he was still on the job site. Right, and it's, it's kind of an odd uh, legal standard in that, you know, you would think it would be very cut and dry. Somebody punches a clock at the end of the day, that's it. The workday is over, but unfortunately, as with much of the law, there is a uh, substantial murky area where the inquiry of whether the claimant was continuing to work or rather whether the accident flowed as a natural consequence of his employment doesn't end at punching a clock. And so I think uh, what Monica is getting at here is that but for his employment uh, and the again, one of the witnesses actually saw him, uh, Joey Donuts saw him putting tools in his truck. Uh, as far as he knew, you know, the claimant usually punches out at five. He may have still been on the clock. Um, but, you know, the claimant was still on the actual job site. This isn't a risk that was shared by the general public at large. He actually drove into a dirt embankment that was on the job site. You could argue he hadn't even started his commute. I mean, he never even made it off premises. So it's, it's the, the issue of punching in and out, sadly, uh, for carriers is not dispositive of whether or not the, the claimant was continuing to work <clears throat> all right i think i think we've heard enough uh joe what'd you what'd you think of that i thought that was pretty pretty good actually i, I was very impressed uh i thought you guys hit a lot of points uh and just for the viewing audience uh one little uh trick that we pulled on them right before recording uh was taking their notes so they could not look at anything to help i thought that was great um, uh, Monica and Chris, you've done a fine job throughout the last couple of months to get to this point. Uh, and we're going to now move on to my favorite portion of the prompt, trivia. You don't like the discussion portion? Well, <laughs> I far be it from me to overturn the Honorable Gregory Lois. Uh, this claim is going to remain disallowed. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Chris, first question's for you. Whose idea was mock trial? You know, this, I, I feel like I'm walking into a trap here, but I, I don't know if I'm being given a hint from behind the scenes. I want to say Christian Cison and Lauren Rella. That was a tough, tough hint from the producer. She kind of led you astray. Uh, the answer is actually Amy Figueroa. Uh, uh -huh. She was looking for ways to help our training uh, move people to uh, greater heights in their careers. And I'm only asking that to attorneys because all the attorneys that are finalists were here when we presented the program, and I gave her credit for that five seconds because naturally I want most of the credit. Um, but yeah, so that's incorrect. Incorrect, great. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Off second, to a good start. Second question also for Chris. 
Name one thing different about this year's mock trial program compared to last year. Uh, there's a there's a couple things, but I'm just confirming in my head things that we did not do last year. I don't believe there was a deposition of a treating doctor in last year's prompt, and I think uh, as a fallback option, um, <laughs> alternatively, <laughs> yeah, having paralegals having paralegals litigate is uh, especially conducting cross-examination at trial and the oral argument portion, that was uh, definitely new. Uh, Mr. Monchione, what, what do you think we should give him for that? I think, we should, I think we should give him full credit. Full credit, okay. I would have given you half because you went with the first answer, which was wrong. Uh, but you'll get half. The other answer acceptable uh, to uh, the judges here were, were the, was the use of New Jersey uh, to come in and help us and learn from the New York team. Okay, so you are one for two. Chris, uh, mm. Monica, your first question is, what was the name of the real-life claimant for whom this year's prompt was based? I'll have to pass this one because I honestly don't remember. Okay. Actually, you know what? I'd, I'd like that because then that means that you didn't go into our own files to help you prepare. <laughs> so it showed some honest preparation, but the answer is Kareem Hagag. To be uh, fair, when you said mock trial trivia, I was all for actually <laughs> studying the actual mock trial <laughs> So it isn't that I wasn't prepared. I, I never said you weren't. Never said you weren't. <laughs> I actually said that you not knowing the name is actually substantiation that you prepared like intuitively. In other words, full credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, we have we have to be we have to be real here. Oh for one, oh for one. Monica, your second question, and I think you know the answer to this because you referenced it in your oral argument. What was the name of the claimant's supervisor, and who played him during the trial? Oh, this is Tony Cannoli, and I was played by our illustrious Joe Melchione. Illustrious, very handsome, very intelligent <laughs> Joe Melchione. Yes. yes, that is correct. Illustrious is a is a good adjective. That's a good one for for Mr. Melchione. Thank you. Okay, but not the only one. <laughs> All right, so. Monica, you're one for two, and the next question is for you. Mm -hmm. How many partners at Lois LLC played a role in mock trial this year? Was it not all of them? That is correct. That's correct. a little uh, John Marzola contribution at the trial as a judge. Snuck him in there. Okay, Chris, mm -hmm. your question. Name <laughs> a defend from day one strategy recommended in prompt one, the client conference call. Uh, you know, you know, I'm I'm a little I'm a little hazy on the on the on the prompt here. What, what, are, what are we? <laughs> Am I allowed to sub in for him? What are, what are, a, a defend from day one strategy mentioned on the recommended by the attorneys to the client. The clients were the judges. If you remember that prompt. Yeah. The the call comes in with the history of the case, and the attorney, as we do, make recommendations. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, as a devout follower of Defend from Day One, like I know you are. Can you name one strategy mentioned by an attorney during that prompt? Hmm. Would you like some help from Monica? If that's, if that's not gonna result in a deduction of points, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good question. Would it, would, I, th I think that if Monica gets it, we could award Monica half a point. What? Uh, okay, no, 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 no. Well, then you're not competing against Monica, right? <laughs> so maybe if, if Monica gets it, 
then Chris gets half, and Monica gets. I feel uh, as, half. as long as Monica gets something. Yes, of course. Okay. Well, I mean, Chris, you can just you know take the next twenty minutes to decide on an answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's such a broad question. I mean, obviously, we want from the employer any sort of documentary evidence that they've prepared, especially in this case, the. Uh, accident reconstruction report that they mentioned so we ask that they send us everything we ask that they give the give us their adjuster contact information if we're talking to the employer specifically uh i mean we get started preparing the ph 16.2 right away to ensure all defenses are preserved i mean there's there's a a hundred different directions you could go in terms of best practices and <laughs> defending from day one as to what was mentioned during the actual client call Exactly. The question was name one uh, strategy. <laughs> right. And the answer I have written my sheet says accept any reasonable answer. Okay. I would have given you two points if you mentioned a site visit, uh, but you gave three. I'm going to give you one point for that. Okay? Good job not seating to Monica. Got a little heated there. Okay, Monica. I'm trying to help. Monica. Why was Dr. Fraud's medical report sufficient to meet PFME? <clears throat> I'm not sure if this qualifies too much or qualifies too little, but from what what I remember, um, he he asked the claimant. One of the things he did, for example, is ask the claimant his um, uh, his. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the word here. But essentially, he asked the claimant to uh, recite to him the uh, events that occurred within the accident. He reviewed the claimant's hospital records, if I remember correctly. He also um, he remember he reviewed the hospital records. He asked the claimant his version of the events that occurred, and <coughs> we'll take that as a, as a correct answer. Uh, I also have accept any reasonable answer, which is a joke on the system itself. Because PFME <laughs> is a standard that is so low, and it's ruining the system. Well, so this is uh, this is actually something that's kind of interesting because you you played the uh, you played the judge when we did the pre hearing conference portion of that, and I argued you know we only needed a medic I I was the claimant's attorney and I remember arguing all we need is a medical report referencing an injury to get past this threshold and you said well Mr Major what is the standard for prima facie medical evidence and I thought. I was pretty sure it was just a medical report referencing an injury, <laughs> but then I uh, then I went back and dug into it some more, and um, you know my understanding is that you would, it needs to be signed off on by a doctor. Uh, you, there needs to be an actual physical examination, uh, and these are things that we that we do frequently argue in terms of defending cases where someone will come in with a you know a, an RN's note or a physical therapy note and try and rely on these things, and we do. Sometimes, despite the joke of a system, uh, we do sometimes prevail in our argument that the claimant has not satisfied this very, very low burden. Well, I mean, underneath that, your description of what you believe to be the standard, would a medical report signed by a doctor referencing an injury but not referencing that it was work-related or it happened on the job, would that constitute prima facie medical evidence yeah, under that theory? I've, I've gotten burned by that very same report uh, in prior cases, and that's an issue to develop on cross-examination that's why we request cross and uh we do argue we do say there's no uh, he never at one point says this occurred on the job or that this is causally related 
uh, those are arguments we make, and, and in certain jurisdictions, maybe you will prevail, but uh, oftentimes my experience has been such that they use this very low burden for PFME just to move forward with trial. That was a good discussion. That was not planned. Good job, guys. Uh, okay. The next question is for Chris. Is it better to cross-examine the PFME doctor regarding an incorrect history received or discredit the diagnosis itself? It's a tough question. So I'm going to – okay. So I'm going to say uh, – cross-examine them regarding the history of the injury itself because a diagnosis is a highly subjective medical opinion you know i could diagnose right knee internal derangement you could diagnose right knee sprain and it's 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 a losing argument in my opinion as a lawyer to poke holes in in a doctor's medical findings that said the whole point of a medical opinion in establishing a claim is causal relationship and if this doctor has a we literally had a case disallowed on this last month where the claimant said the car in front of her backed up into her car. Her, she said to her doctor that she was rear-ended. That was enough to disallow the case. The doctor, the doctor had a complete incorrect mechanism of injury. And if you don't have the right mechanism of injury, you don't have causal relationship. And there goes that element of ANCR. Uh, I think that's a, a, a perfect answer. Uh, also, just using background stories of things that you did well on to uh, <laughs> boast about your uh, goals and, and your triumphs. Uh, really, the only reason I ask that question is just to remind everybody to defend from day one. But that's another point for you, Chris. It's now come to the hardest question of the day, and both of you are going to answer it by taking turns because there are eight answers. I disagree. I think the last question is the hardest question, but I'll let you be the judge oh, when we get there. Oh, when we get there. Oh, okay. Okay. I think this one's pretty hard. Name the order of paralegals who spoke on the record at trial. Oh. Um, oh. It was Kara first. As That's correct. The, oh, okay. Well, I mean, like, if you want to keep going, it's a team team answer. Oh, yes, she was, please. <laughs> <laughs> it was Kara who uh, was the direct... Uh, who conducted the direct for the claimant's testimony. Yes, Kara Malinowski, great paralegal. Who's next? Are we taking turns? Well, I mean, you could go oh, on any. Okay. Uh, if you know the answer, then okay, go Okay, the ahead. next one was myself, Monica. I conducted the cross. <laughs> <laughs> Monica Shea, great paralegal. Okay, <laughs> two for two. Who is next? So that was that was uh, that, that was, was the claimant's, claimant's testimony. testimony. So next up is Joey Donuts because, or I'm sorry, Tony Cannoli, because I know Rocco ended up going last, and he had Joey Donuts in terms of cross examination, not in terms of statements on the record. So who had Tony Cannoli? Do you remember, Monica, who went third and fourth? Hmm. My money's um, on Monica. Personally. It was it was Andrew and it was Megan Ooh. who conducted the next two, and then Lourdes was paired with Rocco. So so just just to be clear for the record, who 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 would be the third? You said two names. Um, the third would be. I think it was Andrew who was third, and then Lourdes who was fourth. Now, Joe, you, you, you were Tony Cannoli, right? I think so. 
Yeah, I'm Sonny Cohen. You know, like the great accent, right? Yeah, excellent uh, Boston accent. <laughs> there's Staten always, Island. there's by way of Staten Island, by way of New Jersey. There's always Poland. acting if this law thing doesn't work out. Mr. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so, I do believe that the uh, Andrew was a person who asked you questions as a witness. He did. But I don't believe mm. that Tony Cannoli was next. Right. That's So the that's why the third answer is incorrect. Right. Hmm. Your memory is very good. Better than I would have been able to do. I tell you that, but... Okay. So, the fourth paralegal would then be who? Well, so... Um, I can't give you any more clues <laughs> than that. I just basically told you the order of the witnesses. So, well, so then, it would, <laughs> so then it would be then it would be Rocco. Well, because if you're saying Joey Donuts went before Tony Cannoli, right. and I know Rocco Rocco had Rocco had cross of Joey Donuts. That would be incorrect because Joey Donuts is an employer witness, and the direct was done by Megan Holloway. Oh, Megan was third. Oh, Megan was third. Yes. You got it wrong. Yes. So Rocco is correct. You are yes. correct. Okay. First mistake I've ever made. <laughs> Damn it. The cross came after the direct. Okay, Rocco's correct. Who's who's after Rocco? Rocco Crincoli, Crincoli, great paralegal. Uh, <laughs> Megan Holloway, great paralegal. So this is the one. This is the one we yeah. just had. Yes. Um, Sorry I, I for misleading you with the uh, Joey Donuts going last. I remember Rocco sitting there for a while. Okay, so probably all the great prep you. work you did, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, Megan so and Andrew, I just, right? I just need to think about who, who the witness. Right? Who is yeah. the witness? I think that's going to be the, the marker that's going to help you. Well, the witness was Tony Cannoli, who Correct. was last. And then who did and direct? And I'm just trying to think who did direct and cross. I know the names. Um, I want to make sure I get them in the right order. One of them wore a baseball hat. <laughs> yeah, and... and <laughs> no, I absolutely know the names. The, the issue is more the order, and I want to make sure I get that correct of who did what. Um, well, so one of them, I believe, was critiqued for making no objections whatsoever on the record. <laughs> Um, that I also remember. I know, so, I know who it was. So we, we, we will not specify who, but you would anticipate. 50-50 shot here. we got to get an answer to keep the program moving. Um, can we skip to summations and then come back? Or is that <laughs> no. not an No. no. <laughs> I'll okay. give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. This person is a great paralegal. <laughs> <laughs> I really got angry that you were going to give him a hint. <laughs> but, yes, keep going. He wouldn't have while you were standing right next to him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say uh, just for the purpose of of moving along, uh, Andrew and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Megan then Andrew. No, 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 it was Lord Lordis. I'm sorry, Lordis who was paired with Andrew. So, Lordis then Andrew would be my guess. Is that your final answer? You disagree? Um. Can only be one other option. Who went first? Okay, that's enough time. All it right. was Andrew, then Lourdes. Mm -hmm. Andrew did direct, Lourdes mm. did cross. And I'm assuming that you guys know who did the brilliant summations at the end, who went first. It was Jen, then Nick Fortino. Great. Okay, so you guys got one, two, three, four, five out of the eight. Pretty good. Uh, I, I don't think I would have been able to do that. That was no, just really either. hard. I think the thing <laughs> was the no. order. I know which, which, which two paralegals were teamed up with what witnesses, but the order... Going in order definitely threw me okay. off. Okay. Final question. Mr. Melchioni thinks it's the hardest one. I think so. Uh, okay, why don't, why don't you ask it? Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling.
feeling I know why you want me to ask it, but I'll ask it anyway. Who is the best attorney in the state of New York? Greg Lois. <laughs> that is an acceptable answer. <laughs> I have written down Christian or Greg. There was let it let the record show there was zero hesitation. (laughs) 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 All right, that was a pretty good trivia round, guys. Uh, The only final thing I have left is the constructive criticism portion of the show. Right, so Chris, you've been through two of these programs. You came in second, really by a hair last year. Uh, You did get a nice plaque for it, though. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> Proudly displayed <laughs> in the box in front of your desk. Yeah. Monica, you, this was your first uh, participation in in the program. So, if you guys could give maybe some feedback or a recommendation how we could make it better next year, uh, that's what we're always uh, looking to do is improve the product. So, so we actually had the opportunity to di- to discuss this uh, a bit, and I believe we there was a there was a meeting of the minds regarding where where this could go. Um, Tread lightly. So, <laughs> well, no, it's it's, it's constructive <laughs> criticism. So maybe we should start on uh, uh, complimenting the program a bit first. It was well, excellent. that's that's well, that's where I was going. So if you if you remember, one of the things that was mentioned at the award ceremony was how uh, impressive it was that I squeaked into second in light of having approximately oh I don't know three or four months experience at that time. <laughs> Now, Are you does he get an extra point for ingratiating himself? himself? Well, so so <laughs> here's here's why I bring that up. At the time, I did I was not overloaded with cases. I was still sort of feeling feeling my way out, and this was a perfect learning experience. This the, the reason I was able to get to where I got over the course of that program was because I was able to sink my teeth into it and put the time into it and use it as the opportunity it was. And I believe. At the heart, you know, why do why do we do this? Why would we have a mock trial is something that I think perhaps too many people ask. And at, at the end of the day, it is a learning experience. And it's a learning experience to the extent of both best practices and to learning about each other. All right. We, we know, I think that we all agree that the program is an integral part of what we do here at LOAS. Right. And I think that it's Im- we all agree that it's important because it kind of reinforces best practices. We made improvements from the first year right. to the second year. So what we're asking is, based upon those improvements and based upon uh, your experience as someone that has gone through both, what are some constructive criticisms going forward that we can implement to make next year's program even better than this year's? So I think one thing that Monica and I absolutely agreed on was uh, having the paralegals litigate was tremendous. Uh, and that was, that was a, a big difference from last year. But I think something that you struggle with when you're conducting a mock trial is having too much busy work because that dissuades people from participation. Everyone's got their everyone's got their workload and everybody's sort of struggling to make time for it. But um, the problem is when you have people doing busy work, the question becomes why? And it's also the case with just sending out letters or meeting deadlines or filing stuff with the board. If the paralegal doesn't ask why we're doing this, there's no context for it. There's no, there's no plan B. There's no personal stake in, in what's occurring. And I th- think the really important thing about mock trial this go around was that the paralegals were learning why they're doing the things they're doing. This is when you put in the legwork behind the scenes to arrange for cross, to prepare witnesses for trial, to get all of this stuff to fruition. This is what happens. This is what your attorneys do with it. They take the ball and carry it across you know, the, the goal line. 
And I think definitely the uh, the litigation portion of it, where the paralegals really got to jump in and kind of um, see it in action, get to experience it in action, get to uh, take their own hands and really jump in and get the experience out of that. Um, I think what we discussed was sort of the earlier portions of POMPs 1 and then the early ones of, uh, I believe it was 2 and 2, correct? 2 and 3. Uh, 2 and 3 with the deposition, uh, the client call, and the pre-hearing the pre conference, conference, correct. Mm -hmm. So with those, the paralegals, they got to do a bit more writing, but I think what we discussed was sort of getting more hands-on like we did with the litigation part. With the litigation part, you know, the paralegals got to go into the experience of, of seeing what the attorneys really do in court, um, whereas with the earlier portions, it was more, um, it was more, you were there as an audience member to sort of take notes. Um, we discussed sort of with, especially with the client call, I believe, maybe the paralegals having more of a hands-on portion that, um, like the litigation part in where the litigation was litigation, the maybe the paralegals taking the client call and then the attorneys getting more into a coaching role would help the paralegals see what the client side of the business is like. And the attorneys likewise would get to refine their abilities in um, coaching somebody else, um, coaching somebody else how to uh, really refine their technique and speaking with the client. And this could also be passed on to say newer, uh, when they have to coach newer attorneys with speaking with clients. I think, w I think we, un I don't mean to interrupt, I think we understand why you found the experiential litigation part fun. And that's mm -hmm. great that we were able to add a little bit of fun. But in reality, the paralegals are not going to litigate. Mm -hmm. And I understand that was an integral and important part of what we did this year. But I think that to further delve into this, the busy work or the written work I think you were referring to, do you feel as a paralegal this year that it adequately reflected what you do on a daily basis? It's and a good question. Good question. Because mm -hmm. I do think that going forward we can eliminate that because we want to be able to make sure that the paralegals are getting the support they need for the things and the activities mm -hmm. and the duties that they do every day. Not to also uh, put any um, uh, less light on it, but that was a great answer that you just had before that question. No, I, I agree. That's why I said let's but dig a little deeper. Yeah, yeah and, and definitely. And right. that's why Did it you make know it was it adequate? <laughs> was it an adequate representation of what you do, right? That was Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And definitely that's why we touch more on the client call as opposed to say the deposition or the pre-hearing conference because the pre-hearing conference and the deposition summary I think are more akin to the busy work that we actually do do in the course of our duties while at the same time sort of touching on um, the busy work that the attorneys do as well. So there's like that intersection in between those two. So what, if any, what modifications, if any, would you make to the written aspect of the paralegal uh, aspect of mm -hmm. the uh, mock trial for next year? If any, you could say none. That's an acceptable answer. I think a bit more guidance in terms of next actions would definitely be helpful with regards to this because as an attorney, your job is to provide, you know, um, solid next actions for the client to decide if they want to take that. With paralegals, we don't get as much, um, I think, experience in determining next actions or experience in understanding, you know, um, why these specific next actions and getting more, um, I suppose, guidance or coaching to really understand what are the next actions that are the most significant and why we're taking them would not only help, um, you know, with this program uh, succeeding in helping us develop our own abilities, but really applicable to when we're doing 
normal paralegal busy work, such as writing our own pre-hearing reports. And this is why uh, I sort of let off with, with my portion of it the way I did, is, um, you know, I would caution against describing the paralegal litigation portion of it as, as fun. While I'm sure it was fun and, you know, everybody got a chance to flex their muscle and, and maybe even have a few laughs every now and then, the important thing for me out of that was context. It is very difficult to have a personal stake in the game if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And the one thing you cannot teach uniformly across the legal profession is caring. And it is, it is too, e anyone can meet a filing deadline, anyone can send out a letter. What makes us different is the ability to provide unique legal recommendations and move the ball forward in ways other people don't. And when the paralegals are doing things just for the sake of doing them, because, there's a, because they know it's supposed to be done, without having any context, it, it just becomes rote. There's no, there's no end game to it. And I, mean, I think so that that's where the litigation portion was important, is you understand why you do the things you do, and it makes them feel more valuable to you. It's more tangible. I, I agree with everyone here. I think that's definite, like, definitely good to know why you do things, uh, because then you can do them better, right? Love what you do, and you'll never work a day in your life. But we don't want to be here for another two hours. So uh, this is Christian Cison with Joey Melchioni, Christopher Major, and Monica Shea reminding you to defend from day one.